Good morning, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you all are here with us this morning. My name is Lane. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, just a few things before we get into the mes message today. First, I'm going to invite our auditorium hosts forward. We are going to continue in worship through the giving of our generosity. Uh, this is something that our church family does as an act of worship. If you are new to this church, if this is your first time or something, please feel no obligation to give. Instead, if you are new, there are these things we have called connect cards. You can find them in the seat back. If you could fill one of those out, just provide some simple information so that we can contact you, um, give us your uh, debit card pin number, things like that. Um, just kidding. Uh, we want to follow up with you and connect with you and learn more about you. So fill one of those out for us. We'd really appreciate it. You can bring to the info center after the service. Uh, a couple of announcements. First is... It will show up on the screen so that I know what it is. Yes, first is, uh, nope, that's still the next one. Oh, eh, here we are. Okay, so Easter's coming. I should have been able to remember that one. So Easter's coming. Today marks the beginning of Holy Week. It is Palm Sunday, and we're excited for what's coming this week. We have our Good Friday service, which is happening at 6 p.m. this Friday. I would highly encourage you, come out to Good Friday. For me, celebrating Easter... I, ha I have to do Good Friday first. Otherwise, I feel like I'm having dessert without the main course, right? The, the pathway by which we get to experience resurrection life and joy and new life in him, it came at a great cost. He poured out himself in sacrificial love in a way that was horrific because he loves us so much. And so part of Easter for us as Christians is to reflect on that great cost, to reflect on what Jesus went through in order to bring us into new life. And so I would highly encourage you, make some space, come to our Good Friday service at 6 p.m. this Friday. And then we have four Easter gatherings. So we have 6 p.m. on Saturday, 8.30 a.m., 10 a.m., and 11.30 a.m. Now, this announcement's really for, your, for, for this crowd, and so I'm going to make an ask of you that you're not going to like, but I'm going to ask anyway. We are a family. We are a team, right? You're in it together with us? Okay, that was a little lackluster, but I, I, I believe that you are with me. This service is typically our fullest, uh, you know, because you attend this service typically. It's typically the one that we have the most people, and uh, our Easter gatherings, we tend to double uh, our Easter Sunday the week before's attendance. So just imagine double the people in this room in this room. <laughs> Not going to work. So I would really appreciate it. We would really appreciate it if you would consider maybe going to one of the other services on Sunday because we want to make lots of room for people who maybe haven't heard the gospel of Jesus before, people who are new coming into our community, moving into Newburgh, trying to find a new church, things like that. We want them to have a space and not have to sit on the aisle or the floor or here at my feet. That would be very uncomfortable for them. So if you could work with us, that'd be fantastic. Thank you so much in advance. Uh, you can also register for the Easter gathering, which we highly encourage you to do so that we can get a head count and figure out what services do we need overflow, how's that going to work. We'd appreciate it so deeply if you could register online for your service. Uh, baptisms are happening the following Sunday. Baptisms are legitimately probably my favorite thing we do as, as, as Christians, um, where we get to see someone publicly declare um, their decision to follow Jesus and, 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 and participate in this symbol of transformation and new life. So if you would like to get baptized, you can register online, and we will get you baptized, and we will be stoked with you, and we will celebrate with you. We have a young adult event coming up on April 12th. It's a crumble and coffee event. So if you are a young adult, I will let you define for yourself what that means. If you are a young adult, um, please come to this event and hang out and make connection. I know that this season of life, kind of between college and when you find your career and your path in life, you can kind of feel like you're floating. 
you can kind of feel like you don't have an anchor. You can kind of feel like you don't have community. And so we're going to endeavor together to build those connections and build those bridges together. So come to that event and hang out. And crumble cookies always win, right? Even if the next day it doesn't feel like it, it's always a win. And that's it for, for our announcements uh, today. Thank you for uh, participating. So I'm really excited to celebrate Palm Sunday because I am not preaching today, which I'm really grateful for. Instead, my really good friend Jonathan is sharing the word with us today. Jonathan and I went to college together. We were roommates for years. He was my best man. We are really good friends, and now he's one of my neighbors. He lives in Hillsborough, where my wife and I live, and it's been a dream to kind of do life together again. Uh, Jonathan is not only brilliant and a good communicator. He holds an MDiv from Azusa Pacific. Um, he's, he's, he's really smart. He's also just one of the best people I know. He's incredibly kind, he's generous, and uh, he's really loyal, which has been a huge uh, point of hope in my life. And so uh, he's going to be sharing the word with us. Would you please welcome Jonathan Murillo? I'm going to pray for him as we get started. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of your family. We pray that uh, as we receive your truth this morning, that we would be transformed to look more like you. Be with Jonathan and speak through him today. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lane. Good morning, everyone. It is great to be with you all today. Like Lane said, we've been best friends for over a decade now since the college days. And so uh, it was really, really... Um, really special to see him come into to, to Red Hills here because at the same time, my wife was becoming one of the campus pastors over at George Fox University. So we've just kind of been thrown into the, the Newburgh community, Red Hills and George Fox, and it's been really special. I also see this time as a real gift, but a responsibility. I have a responsibility here um, as one of Lane's oldest friends to tell you as many stories about him from college that I can. <laughs> I know you want that, but... We have limited time, so I brought pictures instead. Does anyone want to see some pictures? <laughs> All right, let's just take a tour through the glory days, okay? This was a very specific era of social media where we tried to fit as many pictures in one grid as possible, and it was really cool to show our coffee cups. Um, the Lane on the Beach is one of my favorite, um, you know, um, art pieces. This was, we went to college in Southern California, so Disneyland and the beach were the biggest distractions to us, you know, when we had uh, to go to class and such. I have no idea what's happening in any of these pictures. Uh, the one on the left, I don't know what we're selling or what this was. In the middle here, this was Lane just doing his thing. He would lead worship and, and lead the chapels at our school, and it was awesome to see. In the far right, over here, I don't know what Mormon boy band we were auditioning for. <laughs> I have no recollection of this, but there it is. That's us, and I had to include Jaina too, so you can see them as babies there. And then us in our first big kid apartment, and that's what we decided to do, was dress up in suits and take pictures, so. <laughs> and then finally, I don't know, there was a disturbing amount of Chipotle in all of these photos. Like, I'm pretty sure this was the same week. And <laughs> There's no way I could do that now, but that was um, back in the day. And so uh, he asked me, you know, I really am excited to see what your point is with these photos. And I said, oh, there's no point. There's just, <laughs> I just don't know if you'll ever have me back. So I have to do what I got to do. Um, but it's a really special day, not just for that, but because it's Palm Sunday. And I really am grateful to the team for explaining the significance of this day. And if you're like me, growing up in church, I was not used to some of these liturgical seasons or following the church calendar. We grew up with three big days. It was 
Easter, it was Christmas, and it was our church anniversary Sunday where we would have a lowrider car show every Sunday in the parking lot. <laughs> so those were the big days, and you're learning a lot about me. But um, it wasn't until I got to seminary when I was really introduced to this idea of the church calendar. And I'd walk into my church history professor's class, and he would start the class the same way. He would say, what time is it? And we would say something naive, like, it's, it's Thursday, or it's September, or it's 2. But he would say again, what time is it? And we finally caught on. He was asking, what time is it in your heart? What do you set your time around? How are you organizing your year and your life? What are you paying attention to? And this was a really easy answer for me because it's really obvious. I organize my life around football. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a diehard Raiders fan, and for some reason it feels like you should know that and be kind to me, <laughs> but I have something going on all year round, right? It's draft, it's free agency, it's, it's preseason, it's the championship. There's always something happening, and if it's not football, then it's the emails I'm getting from my favorite brand saying it's the annual sale, it's Black Friday, it's the 24 hours only, 50% off. That is my calendar, right? Our work has a calendar, right? We have hump day in the middle of the week. We have, thank God it's Friday, or we have, you know, a case of the Mondays or this new one, the Sunday scaries. Do you know about this? That moment Sunday evening when you start to realize that the work week is coming and you're losing your weekend <laughs> in your hands. The Sunday scaries, that is a specific type of calendar. When Netflix drops the latest season of my favorite show, that's what I'm doing that week. That's what's important that month. Our election cycles, caucuses, primaries, midterms, when you're in school, spring break, summer break, we can organize our life around a lot of things. And if we're not paying attention, those things can dictate what's important, what we're thinking about, what to pay attention to. And so the church calendar is this gift that's been passed down throughout the church in different times and places and iterations. And it's not, you know, total um, gospel law, but it is an invitation to organize your life around the life of Christ to, in certain seasons and times, pay attention to what does it mean to be human through the lens of the story of God and the stories of God's people. It is a new way to think about our time and what to consider meaningful at different moments. And so we come to Palm Sunday, and so this invites us to ask, what are we supposed to be paying attention to? What are we invited to consider? And a lot of it is held up in this word, Hosanna. Right? This is a big word that we'll read about in the story in a second. But Hosanna is this powerful phrase that really is the theme of the day. And it comes to us by way of the Psalms. And it, in its real translation, it means save us now. Hosanna means save us now. And in a lot of ways, it's celebratory like we've been talking about. But in other ways, it's desperation. It's God, save us now. So it makes sense to me that Palm Sunday is this transition from Lent into Holy Week because over the past few weeks in our Lent series, we've been exploring these questions, these questions around doubt and lament and grief and loss and suffering. And a week like this week, in five minutes listening to your life, I'm sure we all be really aware of how we uniquely and specifically and culturally and personally need to be saved. So theologians call Palm Sunday a celebration of victory. They call it a day to welcome Jesus as king. And I think we're invited to ask these questions. How does God respond to our hosannas? If he's bringing victory, what kind of victory does God bring? If we're welcoming Jesus as king, just what kind of king is he? And that's what I want to go to the text and explore today. So if you could turn to John chapter 12. 
will be in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. I do encourage you, though, this story is in all four Gospels, and there's unique perspectives and nuances. If you can, read from those different perspectives, because it's a really rich, rich story in all accounts. But we're going to be in John. And we're going to start in verse 12, and you can read along with me. Not out loud, don't worry about that. (laughs) Just, you know, follow along with me. (laughs) The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And it continues. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. I also have to confess to you that, like your pastor, I am a huge nerd. Uh, He can give you a philosophical treatise on Star Trek. I'm still trying to catch up to that level. (laughs) But I do love watching these YouTube videos. You ever see these where they like break down all the superhero movies and they point out all the Easter egg references and, you know, the numbers and colors that you would only really understand if you read the comics? No? No? All right. Okay. Okay. All right. A couple people with me. But in any case... (laughs) That's why I told you about the football thing earlier, to try to balance your view of me. (laughs) That's kind of what I want to do with this passage. I want to look a little deeper and look at these references, these symbols that we see here, because at first glance, this tells a story, but at another level, there's a lot going on. So we're going to walk through a couple of these key symbols that we see introduced in this passage. The first thing that you need to know is just kind of the context of when this is happening. Jesus had been teaching and doing his ministry, performing miracles, signs, and wonders. The latest and the biggest was raising the dead. So you can see there's this hype that's building around Jesus. And over the past few years, he's made challenges and critiques to Rome, to the Pharisees, to just the way things are done. And so he's on a crash course. This conflict is being set up between Jesus and the economic, political, uh, social, religious powers of the day. And this is kind of where we're plugging into the story. He's entering into his last week of life and of ministry. But it's also during a really significant time. This is during the time of Passover. The festival that John is referring to when he says they were gathering for the festival was the Passover lamb celebration when they would slaughter a lamb to represent the, the, the Passover deliverance story from Exodus when God had brought his people out of slavery and bondage to Egypt and they every year would celebrate and reenact this story with the Passover Seder and they would remember when God delivered them. And this story was actually their origin story as a people. This is when they became the people of Israel not just some tribes and families. And so it was the most significant time of year for them, a time of pride and nostalgia and sentiment It's also the most significant place in the Hebrew imagination. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. So if you read the Messianic prophecies and Psalms that are pointing to a day when God would come and bring his kingdom, 
it was all mentioning Zion. This, it, would, it was going to happen anywhere. It was going to happen here. And so it's the most significant time, the most significant place where these emotions are heightened. People are looking and waiting for something to happen. They're on the edge of their seats. And then they go and they do something. They pick up these branches and they wave them to Jesus. And this would have been very significant because 150 years before this was the last time that the Hebrew people were really free. You have to remember that this is during, Jesus is walking in this time of uh, real military oppression from the Roman Empire. The people of Israel were not free to do and live as they pleased or even to live according to the way that God had invited them to live because they were heavily in violently policed by the Roman Empire. They were overtaxed. They were suffering persecution on a daily basis. And so for them to go and get these palm branches meant something because this was the symbol of the Maccabean revolt. 150 years before Jesus was when Judas Maccabees and his family and his army rose up amongst Israel and delivered them from a different empire. They got conquered a lot, but it was a different Greek empire, and they actually won. They drove them out, and Judas Maccabee had palm branches minted on their coins. It became the symbol for their freedom and for their deliverance, their rebellion, their revolt. These were their stars and stripes for them to pick up the palm branches under Roman occupation and say, blessed is the king of Israel, was a call to arms. It was a call for Jesus to deliver them from their violent oppression. It was a call for him to bring a Hebrew kingdom back again. It was a call to go back to the glory days when Instagram lets you use those filters and you can eat Chipotle three times a week. Anybody miss the glory days? But it's true, we can miss the glory days of our spiritual lives. We can miss the glory days of how things were and we look to Jesus to bring those back just like the Hebrew people were very, very specific about what kind of deliverance and victory they were looking for. This wouldn't have been lost on the Romans actually because this whole idea of entering into a city as a conquering hero was a Roman practice. It was called the Roman Triumph. And the Roman generals, when they would go out and they would conquer a town or they would capture a city and they would expand the Roman Empire into new places, they would take the prisoners of war, the people from from those cities, they would parade them through the city back into Rome and they would be on this chariot drawn by horses. All the people would come out and sing their praises, hailing them as this victorious hero. And they'd go all the way to the temple of Jupiter or Mars and offer sacrifices to the gods for blessing them in battle and giving them this victory. So Jesus is doing this same Roman triumph. This is an act of victory. He's taking a victory lap. And it wouldn't have been lost on the Hebrew people. It wouldn't have been lost on the Romans. And it's especially not lost on the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees are a unique set of people. They were Jewish and they didn't like the Romans but they had negotiated a level of comfort with the Romans. They had negotiated that, yes, they can keep a temple. They can keep practicing their customs and their culture. They would keep the power that they had over their own community, and they would benefit from that compromise if things just stayed the status quo. So when Jesus comes in talking about all his, the kingdom of heaven is at near and that the kingdom is coming, it's about to mess up this good thing that they have going. So they are frustrated with Jesus. And I have to tell you that at any given moment of any given day, I can see myself in all of these characters, right? 
There are times when I look to Jesus and I say, yes, welcome as the king of Israel, but just like the Hebrew people, I have some enemies I want you to take care of. (laughs) I have plans for your life, Jesus. (laughs) I have a a list of things I need you to do for me. It'd be really convenient if you could just hate the same people I hate. It'd be really convenient if you can do things in my time, my way, using my methods. That's what victory is to us, right? It's over our enemies. We win, they lose. It's in our timeline, save us right now. And it's the ways and the scoreboards and the measurements and metrics that we want to win by. Then there's other times that I can see myself as the Pharisees, where I'm actually pretty comfortable with the way things are right now. I'm good with my lifestyle. I've negotiated a level of compromise with the status quo. And Jesus, all of your talk of love and the kingdom and and peace, that worked in Galilee. But this is Jerusalem, baby. (laughs) This is 2023. This is the real world. Let's get practical. Let's get tactical. (laughs) This is how things work here. So sometimes five times a day, I'll switch between these, but I can see myself in this story where to welcome Jesus as king is not necessarily what I really want to do. I feel kind of like Ryan from The Office. You ever see that show? He's like, I want to be led when I'm in the mood to be led, (laughs) the way I want to be led. And I'm just so grateful to Jesus that he cares so deeply about meeting our needs. He's okay not meeting our expectations. He's so, so committed to fulfilling our deepest longings that he's okay not playing by our rules. He wants so badly to bring us in to a greater story that he will reject the scripts we give him. It's frustrating, (laughs) but I am grateful because Jesus is doing something in this story that nobody saw, nobody could imagine, but is ultimately better than we can dream of. Because the symbol that actually uh, matters the most, back, the symbol that actually matters the most is the donkey. This is the one that Jesus chooses. You recognize that all of these other symbols are kind of expectations being put on Jesus. John says it like this. Jesus didn't, we didn't realize it at the time that these things had been done to Jesus. These were expectations and desperations being put on Jesus, a way that we expect him to do things. But it says in response to that, Jesus chose a donkey. And he rides in on a donkey. This was not the Roman triumph of the chariots but he's doing something far better. By choosing a donkey, he's choosing the way, the subversive challenge to the same powers and principalities, but he's doing it through humble, sacrificial, self-giving love. But there's actually more going on in this passage. In Zechariah, this passage that, um, that is mentioned here, that John mentions, if you can go to Zechariah passage, thank you. Uh, John stops at verse 9, but if you keep reading, it tells you even more about why Jesus chose the donkey and what his victory and kingdom actually looks like. It reads, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the earth. 
by choosing the donkey and fulfilling this prophecy, Jesus is saying, what I'm going to do is not just conquer your enemies, but to free you from the burden of enemies altogether. The Hebrews wanted them to win and the Romans to lose. The Romans wanted to conquer all of the nations. And Jesus says, I won't play by those rules, but my kingdom is for everyone, everywhere, for all time. I will not just hear your Hosanna and save you now. I will save you now and forevermore. Jesus goes to be the ultimate Passover lamb, to create the ultimate sacrifice. And he goes to the temple not to offer these sacrifices to the gods, but to tear the veil that separates humanity from God altogether. He's doing something greater. He's doing something everlasting. And this moment here in uh, this Palm Sunday is just a glimpse of the ultimate victory lap that he's doing. We read in Revelation chapter seven, we see this scene that after the resurrection, after Jesus comes back in his glory and renews all things, this is the scene we'll see. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. This Palm Sunday story is pointing to a greater story, that one day, whatever victory we're looking for, whether it gets fulfilled on this side of the resurrection, it will ultimately be fulfilled in Jesus. Every tear will be dried. That Jesus comes not to conquer our enemies, but to conquer sin, death, and evil itself. And in him, there's a victory that one day, all things will be made new, right, and good. Everything will be renewed in him. So when we ask the question, kind of king is Jesus? It's the kind of king that comes in humility and sacrifice to bring a deeper, greater victory than we could even imagine. What kind of victory does he bring? It's one that's everlasting. And again, back to this story, what are we invited to think about? What time is it? How do we respond? How do we live into this vision? probably a lot of ways, but I have a couple that I want to walk through. The first is Palm Sunday is this invitation to trust, to trust that in between resurrection and revelation, in between our Hosanna and our ultimate hallelujah, that we know what's coming. It was already said this morning that Jesus is taking this victory stance. He's parading in as king, but he knows what waits for him, suffering, betrayal, denial, the cross. And when we follow into a cross-shaped life, we know what's coming. <laughs> we know the suffering, the pain that is even right now in our lives. But can we trust? Can we trust that victory has come and is coming? Can we trust that like the disciples, we don't quite understand, but one day we will? Can we trust that Jesus is king even if it's not the king that the world celebrates or that we wish we had in our life, but that one day all things will be made new and we can experience that even now, even in the midst, even with our story unfolding in ways we didn't expect. Can we trust? And the second is an invitation, I think, to participate. Because we are invited not just to be spectators in the crowd watching this happen, but Jesus is inviting us to join in the parade to follow him in his entry into the world. We are invited to ourselves participate in God's victory. And we do this every time that we choose enemy love. 
every time that we choose to opt out of the boundaries of us and them, every time that we choose the way of the donkey instead of the way of the chariot. When we think about the power that we have at work and our families and our relationships, what do we do with it? He shows us here. So can we choose the way of the donkey in our family group chats? <laughs> can we choose the way of sacrificial, self-serving, self-serving, <laughs> self-giving love to those people around us. It, it's really a participating through this a subversive trust, right? It brings us back to trust because it, in the meantime, it doesn't make sense to the ways of the world for us to use our money this way, for us to open our lives to people and use our time for the sake of others this way. It doesn't make sense. But when you participate, it leads you back to a deeper invitation to trust that this is the way of Jesus and that Jesus is king, and ultimately, this victory will come through. And because that is so difficult, we can't do it alone. This is not something for you to just like, okay, take a deep breath and go out there and do it. <laughs> but for you to challenge these powers and principalities and even narratives that we carry around with us about how things should go, right? We have to do it together. We have to do it together. And that's why the third is really an invitation to reflect. One of my favorite parts about this passage is how John says, at the time, the disciples didn't have any clue that this was happening. <laughs> but after Jesus was glorified, they saw what God was doing. So can you look at your own life through the lens of resurrection? Can you look back? Because sometimes it does not make sense in the moment. It doesn't make sense looking forward, but it only makes sense when you look back and you say, oh, there was God. There was that subtle, sustaining grace. It wasn't loud. <laughs> it was just carrying me. There was that person. There was that text message from somebody. There was that trail of goodness and mercy following me all the days of my life. Sometimes it only makes sense looking back, and it only makes sense looking back with other disciples. So I encourage you to take up even these invitations here at the church through groups, through the practices like examine that Lane showed us a few weeks ago. What are your ways of looking back and seeing the victory of God? Because that will help you trust and that will help you participate. I'm going to invite Lane to, to come back up. And in a moment, he's going to lead us into the communion table. And as the band comes back up and we um, close out the service, I just want you to consider, what is your Hosanna? Where do you need to see this kind of king come through for you? Where do you need to see this victory? I was talking to somebody after the first service, and they said, you know, I, I kind of forget that this is a cosmic, universal story, because for me right now, it's deeply personal. And the good news is that there's space for both. As you come to this table, at times, we call this a celebration table. And that celebration can feel like the hardest thing for you to do right now. As you look at your life or the world and you see, I have a very specific Hosanna. Save us now from this part of my life, from this part of the world. And God welcomes it at the table. But can you bring this and ask God to meet you, to help you trust, to help you participate, and to help you reflect? Can you welcome Jesus not just into the world, but into your life? and say both Hosanna and Hallelujah. So be it. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jonathan.
when you came in today, you were given your palm leaves and also you were given a piece of paper with instructions on how to transform that palm leaf into a cross. Mine looks, mine looks okay. Um, there's significance in this. I love the phrase that Jonathan used, that we lead a cross-shaped life. And as we transform our palm leaves into a cross, we lay down our expectations and our methods and our pathways to victory at Jesus' feet. And we pick up the way of the cross, where Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. We do this because we know that Jesus' pathway to deliverance, to salvation, is bigger and better than we could ever have expected. And so as you uh, do this today, you can do it out in the lobby. Uh, we have people there to help you with it if you're struggling. Maybe a staple or two that can help keep it together. Um, or if you go home and you do it there, uh, one really cool practice that we get to do is that these get burned. And we end up using these ashes the following year on Ash Wednesday. And we start the cycle all over again, where we reflect and we sit in the ashes of our own expectations, of our own methods, and we pick up the way of the cross and we pick up the way of Jesus. So as you do that, do so worshipfully, prayerfully in your heart as we remember what Jesus gives to us. And with that, we come to communion. You can open your elements now. As we've been reflecting, we see that Jesus comes in humility. He comes on the back of a donkey. And instead of military conquest through might and power, he conquers the powers of evil, sin, and death itself by giving his own life with self-sacrificial love. And so as we take communion, we break the bread and we remember that Jesus broke his body. He took upon himself the power of this world, all of the hate and evil pain and destruction that the world could unleash. He took it upon himself, and then he defeated it by rendering it ineffective and by coming back to life and then inviting us into that new life. I love that phrase, between the resurrection and revelation. We rest in this hope that this is our future and our reality now and forevermore. Let's take the bread together. And we receive the cup as a representation of his blood poured out for us in the new covenant. Jesus, we are grateful for you and the hope that you give us. We thank you that we can look to you in all things. As we worship you, may we be turned more into your likeness, in your way. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.